Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, we've said it all about Vision Sunday. Really, Vision Sunday next week will be twofold. It'll be um, broad, as in all of our church, and then it'll be uh, singular in terms of each place. And so um, I hope you can be here. All I'll, all I'll say about Vision Sunday, you know, lots of churches do Vision Sunday, and Broad, who sung for us, been with Bron and I and our church for a long, long time now, and... He can testify that, you know, these things have always come to pass. And so we'll be putting some things in front of, you know, us as a church next week that are bold. And uh, I can assure you, unless God turns up, they won't come to pass, you know. So I don't make them lightly. I don't just declare things. If it was as easy as declaring things, I'd be a multi-zillionaire. Um, but, but I'm not. And, but there are things that when Bron says, we declare, we've sought God, we've prayed, um, it's interesting, even in what we wrote down there, you know, we've seen things come to pass. So, so encourage you to be here next week. Um, and, you know, what we come to next week is really something that's been in the, in the works and in the making behind the scenes for quite a while. Uh, now, I wanna, why don't you stand for a moment? You've been sitting for a while. I thought we'd just stand uh, for a moment and pray. Um, I don't know if you know, in Victoria right now, there's a piece of legislation uh, that uh, if you as a parent were to pray for your child because they were having questions over their sexuality or, or their gender, there is a piece of legislation in Victoria right now that potentially means that you could be, certainly you could be, it would be a criminal offence uh, and you could be... Um, sent to prison, potentially. That's the scope of the law. If you were to pray for your own child in a way that included, we need to pray about this. And as you know, when something gets through in a state in Australia, often over time, there is a domino effect. And so I think the church really needs to pray. We need to pray not because of what we might theologically believe, but we need to pray because we care about the next generation, care about the future of our nation care about the kind of environments that our kids grow up in. There's a uh, famous global speaker, and he says, hey, don't be too quick to throw out thousands of years of what has not only served the church well, but humanity well, to replace it with something that is completely untested. So whatever your view on all of these things, I think we need to be praying right now. We need to be praying as God's people. We need to be desperate, and we need to be hungry in prayer so that God would have his way in this nation that up until this moment has known what it is to live free and at peace and blessed. Amen? All right, why don't you just close your eyes if you're comfortable with that or you can look to the heavens and do whatever you like. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is mighty and who is able. Lord, you were the God when Daniel was in Babylon. You're not put off, Lord, by, by um, crazy, um, Lord, um, cultures. Uh, but you're also the God who reigns amongst his people in the city and the nations that you place them. And say, God, we commit our way to you. We pray for, Lord, I I pray for um, you to have your way. I pray for people of courage to speak up. I pray for, Lord, um, politicians who would think clearly. Lord, my prayer is that they would think clearly with the thoughts of God, even when they don't know that they're from you. And I pray that those who would give voice to to, to your ways would do so, Lord and that you would cover them on every side, them and their families, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Keep praying for our politicians. Um, I, I want to uh, wrap up a series. I know you talked about prayer. I think you talked about prayer last week, but I want to wrap up. We've been doing a series, uh, at least in, uh, for me, called How to Rewild a Tamed Life and Faith. I always want to live with an untamed faith. I, I, uh, I, I never want to be the person who really just settles down into the mundane, you know. And, and I think that's the way that God calls people to live, whether I've come to a place of faith yet, whether I've been there for years, I'm pretty confident of this, is that God doesn't want us to live with an untamed faith. He doesn't want us to live an untamed life. He would have us rewild that. And so I want to help. We've been doing this series, and, and what happened was a friend of mine said, Daz, I, I, I've been loving the series. I'm really actually moved and stirred to act on the series. He said, but I feel like unless I move to Calcutta, India, and work in an orphanage like Mother Teresa, 
that my life in this fortunate culture of ours is tamed. And it was an interesting statement from a good friend of mine because his life is completely untamed. And I said, um, I won't mention his name, I said, mate, I I, want to understand because if you're here and other people are here, that feels like instead of empowering them, I've made them feel powerless. And that is definitely not what I want to do. I want you to be able to live out your faith in the context of who you are, where you are, what God's doing and what's going on in a way that is absolutely untamed. And what was interesting about this, guys, I mean, this is, this is a man who has been greatly blessed and, and, and I, I realised that part of his confusion was that he saw his blessing as tamed. And I said, mate, don't, let's not confuse God's blessing of you and it is God, it's miraculous as being a tamed life because that would be to attribute something that actually came from God to something that's actually negative. I mean, our pastor in Canada, Pastor Mike, um, is actually literally his family live in the country because of this man's actions. We've been able to pay off buildings because of this man's actions. We've been able to do all sorts of things. Every single person I have met in the last month because he's part of the team that went to port for us every single person that i've encountered that's encountered him christian not christian pastor all sorts of people are blown away by the way he lives and yet he feels like his life is tamed because it is blessed and so i want to think about this today i want to help us contextualize what untamed looks like within the context of who we are, where we are, what's going on and what God's up to. I'd like to help us do that because untamed needs to work where we are right now. And so when I think of untamed, here is what I think of. Up for where God is leading and into what God is doing. For me, that's an untamed life and faith. I'm a person who is up for where God is leading and into what God is doing. And then when I contrast that with a tamed life, Here's my definition. I won't quite go there. For me, that's the difference between a rewild, untamed faith is one where is God leading, what's God doing, I'm going that way, I'm up for that. And a tamed faith is one that won't quite go there. So what's next for you? What's next for me? And, and, and to go to this, uh, to, to look at this, I want to go to these few verses, just a few verses in the book of Nehemiah. Now, I love Nehemiah. It's my favorite book. Uh, so I, I have to be careful. My wife says, Darren, Jesus is in the Bible, not just King David. And there are other books apart from Nehemiah. And what I love about Nehemiah is that I, I, I identify with Nehemiah, even as a leader. I identify that his story is a miracle from beginning to end without a single miracle as we think miracles. But the whole thing's miraculous. It's a move and work of God that was unrivaled in its times and they hadn't seen for a hundred years. But, but people weren't getting out of wheelchairs at the time. And people weren't necessarily or weren't being resurrected from the dead. But in the absence of that which we cannot control was a move of God which he leans into and so do a whole bunch of people with him. And So I want to go to it and we're going to contrast what, what we would call the tamed and the untamed. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 5 and it says this, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, the Kiwis amongst the Jews. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. And then verse 12, and I like bringing in verse 12 because I think it says everything about the nobles. Verse 12 says, Next to him Shalom, the son of Halahesh, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. And I'm not sure how, his, how old his daughters are. But, you know, I've got a, gosh, 13-year-old daughter. They're all teens now. 15-year-old son, 17-year-old daughter. So when I read this scene, I always imagine my girls working alongside me and think, what an incredible thing to be going on. But imagine being a noble walking past a section of the wall where this man and his daughters were working. Being a noble who's saying, you know what, I'm not up for it. 
I won't quite go there. Why a couple of potentially teenage or preteen girls are hard at work alongside their dad. Uh, I, I love both images. And I want to be confronted by the one that speaks to me and says, you know what? There are people hard at work as believers in Jesus about the mission of God on the planet. Don't worry. It's just, it's just keeping up with my words. It's just you know, <laughs> the speed of my thoughts. So the screen, one screen, oh, it's gone. There we go. Thanks. It's actually more, that's the speed of my wife's thoughts. And where I'm standing, there's another blank screen and that's the speed of my thoughts. That's, a, that's about how it really works. What does your untamed life and faith look like? And so we get this great picture here. And so let me, let, let's think about it. I want to help you go home and contextualize that. Pray about it. Number one, our untamed has a next. And so uh, there's a simple, straightforward thought. But, but I want you to think about it. your untamed faith has a next. And, and I love that idea. And maybe you're right in the middle of your next. But wherever you're at, the, the ne- there's another next coming somewhere in the future. For example, these guys are involved in what is a move of God and it's a rebuilding of a city wall. So, the, the, you know, I always explain to people, think Iraq post-September 11, uh, not September 11, think Iraq uh, post the um, United States invasion. This is a place in rubble. This is a place brought to its knees. The city's in ruins. There's probably smoke in the air. There's certainly rubble on the ground. There's people living amongst the ruins. And the city wall, which was their line of defence in the time in which they lived, is torn down and burnt. And so their untamed next became to rebuild the city wall that hadn't been done for 100 years. And so they're, they're hard at work. But later on, when the city wall was built at another point in time, their untamed next becomes to uh, restore the temple. It doesn't stop with the wall. They have a break after the wall, but later on, God prompts Nehemiah again and they go, hey, we built the wall, now it's time to restore and to raise up the temple and restore that part of the God's people and their way of life. And then that's great, it's a great season, they restore the temple and the city's rebuilt and all that kind of thing. And then what happens is, as they're building the temple, they rediscover the scriptures which have been lost to the people of God. And they begin to place again at the centre of culture and their personal lives the Bible's place in their story and, and it informing the way they live and love and all those kinds of things. And, and it requires some bold decisions and some courageous decisions from the people. But right along the journey, at one point, it was the rebuilding of the wall was their untamed next. And then at another point, the, the re-centering and the raising of the temple was their untamed next. And later on, the restoring of Scripture to its rightful place in the community and their lives becomes their untamed next. And our untamed next moves with life. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now and maybe you just got to live that out. But at some point in the future, all of us have an untamed next that's coming our way. I think as a church that we're about to step into an untamed next. I'm looking forward to that next week. But you have one. I have one. So I wonder what that might be for you. And we want to help you at least begin to contextualize that today. Because here's what I know. God's untamed next in our life, the thing that God is leading us into and that God is um, doing, that, that, that is the best place to live. There is nowhere quite like it. And I, I want to help us all go there. So that's number one. Number two, the tamed won't quite go there. And then in brackets I've written, and in this case at least, they barely know it. What scares me most about the nobles is that they hear what proves to be a move of God and they, they don't blink that they're not involved. But like they don't even stop to pray. They just go, yeah, no. The nobles who should know better just won't go there. And, and I think this is, you know, it's a, it's a tragedy on so many levels. I've written some thoughts here, listen to the, the, the nobles miss it willingly. They, 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 by their lack of cooperation and action, willingly consent to there being no move of God in their generation. Imagine that. Now, I've been leading a church with, with Brian for 15 years. Many of you know the story by now. 15 people got an idea in our heart. For four years, not a person became a Christian. We take the church on. God starts to move. Church begins to grow. 
People come to faith. We get handed a building. Church grows again. I get this idea that we, 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 the church in Gaira will want us to take it on and I don't talk to anyone about that. They ring us. I'm praying about a church in Gunnedah and saying, God, Gunnedah really needs another church. The ACC church that's there is not doing so great, but we don't want to kill it. If you bring it to us, we'll run with it. They ring us and say, hey, Darren, we've been thinking about it. We'd like you to take on the church over here. And then Armidale, some of you know the story. We were planning to launch a church in Armidale and then you got um, some new pastors, your previous pastors, around the same time. And my state president said, Darren, will you... Will you just hold if you've got any thoughts on Armadale? I said, sure, we'll hold. We just want a great church there. Three years later, here we were. Against circumstances we would prefer not to have, but regardless of that, you know. And just so you know, Neil Walford, who many of you know, I still speak with Neil every couple of weeks. We help him lead his church over there in South Africa. We pray for him all the time. We're com- completely committed to that. And then, of course, um, now we're on to our next adventure on the coast. And I look at all of that and at various times God spoke and said, this is what's going to happen and we, we backed that in and it's a genuine move of God. It's a legit, out in the country, move of God. Hallelujah. But you know what? There's people been in the church with me for nearly 15 years who have missed it completely. They're still praying for one, but they missed one. And I remember telling them, and I'm not saying I'm awesome, please don't understand that, If you know me, you know I'm not awesome. I'm just saying I don't want you to miss what God's doing. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that I remember saying them what I'm about to say to you. If you will join what I believe God is up to, you will be part of a move of God that most people never get to be part of in their lifetime. Most churches I know, most churches I know have not grown for 10 years. Most churches I know. And I get hundreds of them have not grown for 10 years. They're good churches. They're praying their heart out. They're doing great things. But for whatever reason, God puts a grace on some things to grow. It's his grace. And you and I happen to be in that kind of place and that kind of time. And my invite to you is go, hey, let's not be like the nobles who willingly missed what God was doing. But let's be up for it. The nobles, they just wouldn't be disrupted by their own agenda, their own lifestyle. They were tamed, and they wouldn't quite go there. And, and, and most of all, before I move on from this, because there's not a negative bone in my body, I hope, God can't get through to them in any meaningful way. I mean, how is it when God can't get through to you? What a crazy place to be as one of the people of God. And literally, God couldn't even get through to them. They put up boundaries and said, this is it. They created settings that served themselves, and they lived their tame lives in what appeared to be blessed. The tame never quite go there. Um, the tame won't quite go there in prayer. I find it interesting that they, they, they just don't even pray. I'm like, the least they could have done was gone, we'll, we'll pray about it. And, um, but they won't quite go there. Not even to pray and go, Nehemiah, we're, listen, give us some time. We are the nobles after all. We deserve a little bit of extra treatment here. Just give us some time to pray about it, but they won't quite go there. Contrast that with the untamed prayer of Nehemiah. Listen to this when he hears about the state of the city that they would ultimately rebuild. Nehemiah 1 verse 4, When I heard these things about the state of things, he says, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He's moved to prayer. And not only is he moved to pray because of the desperation he feels and because of the passion within him, I think if ever there was a time for the church to be desperate in our nation, it's right now. I reckon 2020 is a line in the sand in the church that was, and 2021 is the beginning of the church that will be. There is a shift going on bigger than we can see right now, and, and the thing that will shift it is a church that will pray and respond to the Spirit of God and what he's doing. And so I'm just saying, hey, let's go there. Let's be like Nehemiah. The untamed have a way they pray. They just go about it a different way. I don't know about you. I've definitely lived with untamed prayer. I've definitely been in places where my prayer life must have even bored God. Like, Darren, seriously, are we still praying about that thing that concerns you? Is there anything else on your agenda? And of course, he loves the things that concern us. But I'm talking about a fire on the inside. There was a fire on the inside of Nehemiah that would not be quenched. 
moved and he wanted to move God's heart. Big, bold, believing prayers, prayer for people, prayers of faith, prayers for the impossible. And this is what I love and this is what makes him most untamed in the way he prays for me is that Nehemiah, when he wraps up his prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1, is essentially saying, Lord, send me. He's going, hey, God, I'm going to go to the king and I need something to go on. And he's praying for a miracle, but he's also prepared to be the vessel. He's praying that God will turn up and he's going, and God, I'm your man, I'll go. And so he's off. Uh, You would have heard us say, we pray first, not last. That's our attitude as a church. And you know, the reason it's our attitude as a church is because it's not always been that way. That's why we try to make prayer front and centre. And we're still working out how that looks in a service, for example, because we don't want to be weird. I found out when you found out that there's a 10 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. prayer meeting. I'm like, who came up with that? I will not be there, just for the record. I'm not going to be there. I will be at the other one, but I'm not going to the 2 p.m. Uh, 2 a.m. one. Gosh, some crazy human. But, but teenagers, yeah, I hope it's teenagers. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because they're going to get up at midday. Yeah, and that's okay too. Um, but, you know, I, I know that there's a 24-hour prayer meeting coming and they did ask us about that and I said, you know what, well, I, I know, I've read enough history to know that that's the kind of thing you see at revivals people didn't see coming. That's just the kind of thing you see and we're like, yeah, let's do that. Now, I don't know about you, I've not done a 24-hour prayer meeting in my life. I'm just going to bring a pillow, I'm going to bring a doona and a um, Bible and some books and I don't know how I'm going to go, but I'm, I'm in and I'll, because I, I believe what is true of Nehemiah, I want to be true of us, so... So, you know, just they pray a certain way. I love what um, the book of James says. The passionate prayer of a godly person is powerful and effective. The fervent prayer, the fired up prayer of a godly person. Now, that doesn't need it. If you're not outward and charismatic, it, it doesn't need to be. My youngest daughter is not about to stand up here and start moving around and pray fire prayers, you know, that sound like she's all on fire for Jesus. She's going to sit in the corner and she's going to pray quietly because that's her nature. But it's no less fired up. It's no less passionate when it comes from the heart. So it's not about a, an expression. It's about a heart and intention and a, and a devotion to that going on. Number three, I just want to think about the difference between living tamed and blessed. Because the nobles lived tamed in their blessing. And Nehemiah leveraged his blessing to live untamed. The, 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 uh, it's really important. The nobles lived tamed in their blessing and Nehemiah lived untamed, leveraging his blessing. And distinguishing between the two is important for us all. I, I live a fortunate life. I, I recognise my life is fortunate. It wasn't always. But these days it is. Sometimes I wonder, I'm like, how did I get here? How did I get to do this? How did I get to live in a nice place? And honestly... Most of it's miraculous. Um, I'd like to actually take more credit for it, to be honest. I'd like to say, actually, I I really planned most of this well. And some of it you plan and some of it you respond to, but some of it's got nothing to do with you, it's God. But, But the risk when you are blessed and feel fortunate and you're in a fortunate stage of life is to become tamed. It is because life's comfortable. And yet Nehemiah shows us how to live untamed in his blessing. Um... My friend, as I mentioned, mightily blessed, but an untamed life. In fact, he takes his blessing and leverages it at every opportunity. If I rattled off the list, it's quite extraordinary of what he does. You know, in, in fact, he, he's, he's employed as a consultant to a large um, developer. And, you know, last year being COVID and they didn't know where it was. He just never invoiced them a six-figure fee for the year. Just didn't do it. Now, as it turned out, it ended up being a good year. He could have gone back and said, hey, you know what, I'm worth way more than that and we all know it. But he went, no, no, I I, as a believer in Jesus am going to trust God with a six-figure gap to be a blessing to my non-Christian employer so that he can see that I live by faith and, man, I love Jesus and I love him too because of it. I think that's extraordinary. Now, of course, I don't know about you, most people in the room probably don't even earn six figures. You go, well, Darren, that's not really applicable. But there, there's a, there's our, there is what it is for us in the middle of our blessing. What does that look like? Um, it just looks different for everybody. 
He was telling me the other day, like, who does this? Someone came to do a job at his house. Uh, to, to, no, a personal trainer he wanted for one of his um, children. And the personal trainer said, this is, my, this is my hourly rate. And he said, but what do you get to do? If you're not doing this for me, you're doing this over here. What do you want over there? And he said, oh, I'll double that, but I can't pay, charge you that. He said, yes, you can. I'll pay that because that's what you're worth. I'm like, that's an untamed faith in a guy who has blessing to be able to do that. I wonder what it looks like for you. And so his blessing hasn't tamed him. In fact, he lives untamed with it. Our untamed blessing, um, here, listen to this, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Well, that doesn't sound very smart, does it? Um, Abraham is living this untamed life and his untamed life brings him to this incredible place of blessing. He's he's a pastoralist. He he owns cattle and stock and sheep and ground and staff and servants and, and he's got great wives and he's got a bunch of kids. I mean, his life is the life of that day. Uh, some of you would know Sir Sidney Kidman. Anyone know Sir Sidney Kidman? You know, like, this is an incredible Australian, Sir Sidney Kidman, the man who started life out as a poor drover and became the, the, the largest landholder in the world. The largest landholder in the world. He, he owned more land than some countries have. Many countries have. He was a pastoralist with a lot. Well, that's Abraham. And in the middle of that blessing, which God has given him, having lived this untamed life and the blessing that God's opened up, he's enjoying it, living it, faithfully serving God in an untamed way. And the Spirit of God whispers to him and says, Are you ready? Abraham, we're out of here. Ah. Now that is an untamed next. I can tell you the thing I don't want to hear from God. Honest, this is the thing I don't want to hear. We lead a church, it's got staff, I have a role on... Uh, our denomination that's very fortunate, it's well, whatever, it's, I'm looked after. I get to eat ribs more often than any human should because of the amount of travel that I get to do. I'll tell you what I wouldn't want to hear, honest with you. Darren, go plant a church. Because I've done that. And it's hard, hard work, working a job, pastoring a church when there's nobody there. And if God said that to me, I'd be like, oh, I just need a confirmation, God. I just need to be sure about seven more times. Now, I don't know what he's going to call me to. Maybe he won't call me to that. I hope he doesn't. I that's honest. I hope I can just send young guys because they've got more energy than me. Anyway, haven't they, Brody Keeley? They've just got more energy. But here's the thing. Whatever our untamed next is, that we'd be up for it. Abraham was there. And he had to step out of what he knew into God's great unknown. It meant leaving some things behind to step into what God had for him next. And, and, and so what happened? If What would it, could have happened? And, you know, we, we don't appreciate it because it didn't. But Abraham could have gone, I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. And Abraham, in the promise and provision of God that had become his blessing... His blessing could have turned into the untamed pla- uh, the tamed place where he lived the rest of his life. But he refused to settle and become the tamed. He steps out again and he follows God into what God's calling to next. And this reminds us that yesterday's plan and provision can get in the way of today's purpose and tomorrow's promise. It really can. And so, you know, for me, I'm like, God, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get stuck there. I don't want to get comfortable. Honestly, I could run our church on one day a week and one day of prep. Actually, I could run it on less than one day a week because our staff are incre- We do run it on less than one day a week. And I do everything else because our staff are incredible. Carrie's incredible here, honestly. But all of them are. Well, except for one, if you're listening to the podcast. You can work out which one, guys. No, not really. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Is that, what is the point? I could get comfortable and no one would know it. No one will know. Work four-hour days. No one will know. But the opposite's the case. You step into the untamed next and I'm still looking to get a full second day off sometimes. Most of the time it's one day. But I'm like, God, that's what you've called me to. The Jews work six days a week for all of history. I can work six too. But the reality is, 
You've got to step into your untamed next for that to go on. And so just to keep going there in our lives, where's God leading you? Let's not settle in our blessing and see that which is from God actually become that which is tame. Number four, your untamed next. Abraham had one, my friend has one, the guys who built the wall had one, our church has one, my life has one, and so does yours, your untamed next. And it's most likely not on the other side of the world, uh, in Calcutta, amongst the orphans, though it might be. But I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what your untamed next is. I've got a friend who at one time his untamed next was to study as a doctor. He's a South African guy and he came from a family. He had to work every spare moment that he wasn't studying all the way through medical school, all the way through university. And, you know, he said, but for him, some people might call it a gut feeling. As a Christian, he calls it a God prompting. And he said the God prompting in his life was to go and study um, medicine. Fast track, whole bunch of years, and down. And about four years ago, I'm in sitting in his um, surgery, and and uh, I'd finished my appointment on the way out. Brian had said to me, "Dad, I've got a little spot. Could you mention it to Albert, see if he can fit me in?" And so, me being me, I'm a little bit blonde. I walk out, I forget all about it, and then as I get to the door to leave the building, I remember, and I go back, I just pop my head in, I said, "Albert, I'm so sorry to bother you. Um, my wife has a little spot." Have you got any room? He said, well, I haven't, but I'll see her at 8 o'clock in the morning. Albert sees Bron at 8 o'clock the next morning. We quickly find out that Bron has a serious, aggressive cancer. And we were due to go a bunch of places. Everything's cancelled. All things are gone. And Bron is getting, getting surgery done. Had Dr. Albert not been my friend, or had I not made that appointment that morning... We wouldn't have seen him for three months. He was going away. He no longer lived in town. He just did the odd day there. And then we were going away after him. It would have been three months before we saw him again and Bron literally would have been living with incurable cancer. How grateful I am. And I know it's not the reason or even close to the reason why. But somewhere back here, a young man at the age of 20 determined that he would step into his untamed next, trust the prompting of God in his life and somewhere down in the future that played out as it probably has thousands of other times for so many other people in a way that affected my family for God-appointed purpose. I wonder what God has called you to next into your untamed future. Maybe it's living graciously inclusive or how the church, the Acts 2 church is my absolute dream and I will go to my dying breath I pray pursuing that we would be an Acts 2 kind of church, just living graciously inclusive, opening up my table. I wonder what it is for you. Our pastor used to say to us, well, if you're young and single and you can't have people to your house because it's a wreck, which mine was, had a pool table in the lounge room, and um, he said, you can take them to Chinese, just save up your money and then take someone. Well, so we just, we were crazy enough just to listen to our pastor, living graciously inclusive, living wildly generous, biblically hospitable, going spiritually deep to live with a spiritual edge. I tell you, that's my year. I want to live with an edge, an edge beyond where I live now. I want to live with an edge in the spirit beyond where I live now. That's my personal next. Sunday strong. That would be a great untamed next for some people. Adding your blood, sweat and tears to where you see God in a thing. Making a bold move into a new venture. Staying where you are when everything wants to move. Here are the two big ones, I reckon, as I try and wrap this today, is that I reckon the two big ones in our untamed next uh, come in these two forms. There are many, but one is in the God's great unknown, like Abraham, like Vision Sunday. It's going, stepping in, I'm stepping into, I'm not sure how this works unless you turn up, God. If you don't turn up, this is going to be kind of embarrassing. But if you turned up, it's going to be a miracle move of God and I'm up for that because I think you've spoken to me and without any evidence of where we're headed next apart from a whisper, an imprint on my heart, I'm prepared to back that in with wise counsel. I'm prepared to back that in and go where you've called me to, stepping out into God's great unknown. But there's another one. I think it's God's great known. I find that a hard place to live an untamed next, where you absolutely know pretty well what's going on, where it's just about being faithful. And I can tell you, in my life at least, 
stepping into the great unknown of God is easier than for me to stay in the great already revealed known and just be faithful and come with my faith, my blood, sweat and tears and live out the Christian life in the place. Not knowing if there's anything beyond this, not knowing if there's going to be fruit from this, not knowing if there's a better day or a new platform or another ceiling that is broken and platform set up, whatever. But this might be it. That's a harder place to live. I wonder where your untamed next really is for you. Let me wrap with this. It's a song or the lyrics to a Macklemore song. I don't know if you know it. Good old days. It's on my playlist. He says this. It's not a Christian. I wish somebody would have told me, babe, that someday these will be the good old days. But someday soon your whole life's going to change. You'll miss the magic of the good old days. Maybe these are the moments. Maybe I've been missing missing what it's about. Been scared of the future, thinking about the past and what I'm while missing out on now. Too tame for God's wild, I've been sitting out of sight. But I know this is the moment and I don't want to miss that now. I added the last bit, the God bit. But the point is this. One day, someday, we're going to look back on life. And they're going to be the good old days. And my hunch for me is that they're actually here. Now, there might be more. But these somehow, in some way, will be it. You'll look back and go, oh, good days. I realise recent times haven't always been. But I reckon moving forward, I reckon for the church, these will become the good old days. I wonder about your life and that we would embrace that now and that you might go away from today and just wrestle with the question in a good way before God. Write it down on a piece of blank paper and go, God, what is my untamed next? Make it clear make it known, I'm ready to go in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Why don't you stand with me? Oh, no, don't do that. We're done. We're going to talk. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Deza. What, uh, what we do now, if you're, if you're new to us here, is we often have a time where whoever's speaking, we have a little continue the conversation, and I know that the screen's... Oh, there we go. So if you... Uh, there's a phone number on the screen... If, if you'd like to send in a text question or come to... Thanks, Kesh. That's great, mate. But if it was me, I'd just... Do, just there. Uh, one job, mate. Tell you what. Just kidding. Uh, if you have a question for Daz, um, you can text it to that number. It'll come to my phone here. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue the conversation. It's part of, it's part of the culture of, of what we do here, isn't it? It is. They, um, if, you, if you're new and you're like, how long is this thing going to go? Um, <laughs> Just so you know, about eight minutes, all right? So, like, we're going to be the shortest church service you've been in, um, not the longest, but you could have been, you could be sitting there thinking, is this like another 30 minutes? Or, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. We believe the hour after the service is important, the hour of what happens amongst us when we wrap in prayer and disperse into rooms and car parks, that that is potentially as powerful as anything that's going on in this space. And, and, you know, literally to the point, when I'm, when I'm driving up here today, I'm praying on the way. My prayer is, God, I pray the word will be powerful. Pray the worship will glorify God, you know, glorify you. Pray there'd be a sense of your presence. And I pray in the hour after church, there'd be words of wisdom, words of knowledge, the prophetic in action, love on display, acts of kindness in the room. Like that, because so, I think that's as important as this. So, yeah. Absolutely. For a little bit of time. It helps. Over to you. Sort of get out of the whole... This is when I do church. This is when I eat breakfast. And I, you know, because we are the church. We don't do church. We are the church. I'll kick it off. Right. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've, perhaps you or you and Bronnie, in your uh, life in ministry, where you felt the um, desire to be tame in a certain area due to disappointment or hurt or whatever? And if there has, what did you do to? move out of that space and go, no, nah, we're not going to settle. Good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, definitely has. I, I, I don't know if I've told it, so I don't like repeating too many things. 2012, we, um, we took on a smaller church than ours, put them together. Um, you know, we'd, we'd just been growing, and, and I just thought that everyone would trust me. Like, we'd done everything we said we'd do. We'd endeavoured to live with integrity as leaders, and, um, and I found that the level of trust was much lower than I realised. Now, the problem was that I didn't understand how to do change. I just thought, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to cast vision, I'll have a coffee with five of you, and we'll do this. 
And, and then I told everyone silly, I said, and in six months, it'll just feel like normal. Well, transition takes three years on average, you know, properly. And so, and it did take three years. But, but when I had people who pulled back, people I really knew for a long time and, and questioned my heart, or not my heart, never questioned my heart, questioned um, my leadership. And I remember just thinking, oh, and it hurt a lot because they were people I loved and knew well. But, you know, my job was to keep my heart soft. I knew that. I'm like, this is where people get into trouble. This is how it works. And so I've got to keep my heart soft and I've got to give people cause for confidence. That's on me, not on them. And uh, what they do with that is pe- that's people's business. But So we really had to just keep soft hearts in that season, both Bron and I, and um, remember what it was about. You just bring yourself back to, it's not about me, it's about God, it's about people, it's about his cause. And so I must have said that to myself a thousand times. And, um, and that's what you do. Well, that's what we did, sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Here's a question um, uh, about forgiveness, and it's, I kind of think you might think this is off topic, but I don't think That's so fine. because I think it's really courageous of whoever it is to write this in yeah. because it's, in my mind, looking through it, it seems mm-hmm. like a, I want to untame this part of my life. Yeah. The question is, what comes after forgiveness? I know I've forgiven somebody, but I'm not sure how to navigate a relationship where I no longer trust or respect that person. What is my next step? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, forgiveness is obviously it's meant to be instant and it it might take a zillion instants you know where you have to come back to it and trust takes time we always say um, I don't know if Bro's ever been in a room when we get a new young leader and I always say to them so you need to know my door is always open I'm I'm, um, um, and I'm open to feedback too and I always say that to them I'm open to feedback the same way I'm going to give you feedback I said but you need to know this if it happens outside the room we're done. Because right conversation in the wrong room is a wrong conversation. But if you have it with me in the right room, we can have, we can talk about anything. And, and I say, I'm extending trust. But if you break trust, then trust is on you to build. And so I think that's how I approach it. Trust, if trust has been broken, in my view, in, in is that forgiveness is instant, forgiveness is continual, restoration needs to happen, but trust takes time. So some relationships, they just won't be rebuilt because I don't know why. But I think that we should all try. I, I don't think we should ever cut, you know, unless there's violence and things that are unchanged. If there's unchanged behaviours, you shouldn't step back into that. But we're assuming everyone's heart's good here. Um, we have to try. That's the biblical way to live. Imagine... It's pretty simple. Here it is. What, what would Jesus do? What would he do? Jesus, immediately, I sin now. You know, I might sin before I get home today. I don't know what's about to happen. Yeah? And, but I know that Jesus has immediately restored me and I'm going to begin to communicate with him. But his trust, my trust, you know, if it's because I've ripped off the local coffee shop on my way home, I, I might have to rebuild the trust that I can be trusted with finance but I'm forgiven and I'm in right relationship with God. And that's how it should be, I think. It's like, not easy, though. Not at all, no. no. Like a, a, is a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the phrase, there's a massive chasm of difference between. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one that says that, but there's a massive chasm of difference between no condemnation and consequence. You might still have there to. There is consequence, yeah. And consequence takes time. Yeah, but, totally. But, yeah, the other process is instant. Yeah. Um, this is a very short question, really good one though. Being a newbie, where should we start? In terms of... I'm not sure that's the question. We'll that's talk the about whole question. next, in terms of next. Um, you know, really, Christianity, I think the, our faith comes down to two things and they're both contained in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, um, baptising in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and then line, you know, line somewhere there, teaching them to obey all things. And so I think that obviously uh, as a new person, to faith, if it's to faith, um, it's to um, get, be discipled. What's, what's Jesus actually say? And to start there. And that never changes. I think the biggest decision we made earlier, I made early, that has been most helpful, and I was having this conversation with my 17-year-old daughter just the other day, who is Gen Z, right? And and they don't, I said, sweetie, the decision that we made is I'm either going to approach the Bible two ways. 
I'm going to do a discover and decide. So what does it say? So if I'm young and single, I was young and single. I read the Bible and it says, don't live sexually immoral. If I live, discover and decide, I'm like, okay, it says that. I'm cool with that as long as there's no temptations. Like literally, this is a weird story, right? So I become a Christian and um, uh, just to get away, the scenes I were in, like, you know, footy, party, I couldn't just stay where I was and get through that. I just didn't feel like I was strong enough. So for a little while, just a month or two, I lived in a caravan on my own in a caravan park. And all my friends had thought I was crazy. They'd gone, what's happening? Dad, he's lost his mind. And I'd drive in and I'd walk to my caravan from my parking spot and this woman would yell out from her van, hey, come in here, rah, rah, rah. And I'm walking past and I'm just being honest. I hope this is okay. I'm like, that has never happened to me in my life. And now I'm a Christian. I've got this woman yelling at me to come on in. And I'm like, this is spiritual and I don't know anything. In fact, I knew so little that I remember wearing black to church and I went to work. And my uncle, who was a, like a backslidden Christian, he said, you didn't wear that, did you? And I went, what? He said, you can't wear black to church, Darren. It's the devil's colour. And I went, what? I didn't know. I didn't know. And he said, no, I'm joking. You know, that's how little I knew. And so, but I knew enough to go, man, that wasn't happening before. This has got to be spiritual. And at that point, if I'm living a discover what the Bible says and then decide faith, I'm in big trouble. But I'd gone, no, I've decided that the word of God is what it says. It's God's word. Yeah, there's historical context and there's progressive arc and all of that. But, but there's God's word and in the New Testament, post-Jesus is really clear. And so um, I think if you're on a newbie, that's where I'd start. If you're just new to church um, and you're a Christian, I would say this. They, they, the stats are, are proven that a person who comes to church and doesn't connect on a team or in a group with other people, whatever community looks like, one in ten will stay in a church. If a person comes in, connects with people or joins a team, seven in ten, that's an Australian statistic, seven in ten people will stay in that church. It shows us that it's got less to do with the church and more to do with how connected I am as a believer, which is the way of the Bible, right? So, so they're the two things. I hope that answers it. Have we got time for... A re- we have. We've got three minutes Three exactly. minutes? We might just quickly do, they're coming in thick and fast now, so apologies. I'll try if, and give them short. If your quicker. question doesn't get, um, I feel like I'm settling for just attending church, is that okay? That's one of the questions. Well, it's a season. Par- I, I would say, uh, I would say, uh, look, my politically correct answer is it's a season. My honest answer is someone who loves you and realise you might not come back next week is no. Um, uh, I don't mean in terms of service around here. I'm not talking about that. So I don't know exactly the context. I'm talking about our life and faith. You know, am I, am I living? I'd go, here's what I would do. Here's my measure. This, this is just my personal measure. Acts chapter 2, if you want to write something down, verses 41 to 47. Go look it up and just live that. And if, and if a person starts to live that, they will live a faith that, that is meaningful and effective and, uh, you know, devoted to the apostles' teaching, gathering together in the temple, eating food in homes, breaking bread, having communion, prayerful, reaching people. That's, yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll join these last two together because right. they're from the same person. Right. Um, wants to know more about um, the process of spring cleaning hindrances, mm. which is a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And um, so perhaps combining that with some, some how-to tips, deliberately choosing... Um, current blessing, seeing that, looking to next step versus staying comfortable. So how to spring clean hindrances, right? Can I deal with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, go I for mean, it. So I would say this. I, I, um, I'm going to be, oh, I don't know if I should be this honest. Who's on social media? I'm going to be this honest. Okay. I'm on social media too, or I was. Um, so I have Instagram, I have Facebook. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on, <clears throat> and um, uh, when I was a young guy, before we had technology, um, the hardest thing for me as a Christian was to walk past a news agency, because a news agency had images out front that I don't want to look at anymore, and so, you know, most of the time I'm good, I'm like, right, eyes up, Darren, straight ahead, some of you are thinking, How, Darren, you're crazy, no, I'm just trying to live a biblical life, and um, so I feel like I found myself 
And, and sometimes you get it wrong, right? That, that'll be my life and that's why there's grace. And so I found that Instagram and Facebook, for me personally, had a news agency factor. Like, as a male my age, I cannot scroll and not encounter the news agency. And I didn't want to confront it. And I would, I'd do it right, then I'd get it wrong. And I'm not talking about looking at, I'm not talking about looking at porn or anything like that. I can honestly tell you, I have not done that, honestly. I'm not talking about clicking on something that I shouldn't, I'm not. I'm talking about on my feed scrolling. That's what I'm talking about. And I just knew, I knew it was wrong. And anyway, one day, long story short, made a decision for me. I don't want the news agency on my front step. I would not want to walk out there every day on my way to work. So I'm not taking Instagram and Facebook to my bedroom or my house. So I'm not on them. Now, that was a hindrance to me. It wasn't taking me to hell. But, but I could tell in my spirit the edge that I said that I want to live with. I, I could tell that the edge wasn't quite there. Now, there's grace for that. There's, please don't feel condemned at all. It's not about that. I didn't feel condemned. I just knew that, that you know. It says, live in a way with your wife that your prayers not be hindered. That's a big thought. So, you know, same with my eyes, I think. Live in a way with my eyes that, you know, my prayers not be hindered. That's, that's what it is. So I would say... That, that's my thought. Whatever you need to do to create the settings that get rid of a hindrance, that's what you do. That's what, just what do I need? Honestly, what do I need to create the settings I need? And so that's it. Cool. Thanks, Des. I think so, yeah. Sorry if we didn't get onto your so, question yeah. out there. Um, Sorry we ended on a weird note too. <laughs> maybe it's weirder for me than you. I don't know. Well, I think it's a good note talking yeah. about what it is to keep moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's pray real quick. And um, thanks, Dezza. Pleasure. Thanks, mate. You've got a great radio voice, by the way. You oh, should be on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I, I, no, it's just, I was on radio for a little while in Darwin yeah. and I got kicked off. Okay. So, long story. Come and see me afterwards. True story. <laughs> Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your call to us to not settle for tame. Your call to us to, uh, to get rid of hindrance. Your call to us to run the race and fix our eyes and remembering Christ for the joy set before him. Uh, thank you for Daz's word. Uh, please may our, our thoughts and conversations and week be peppered and uh, seasoned with your spirit in this regard. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.